I didn't touch foot in Portland for six months. I spent my Christmas alone in a hotel room. It's not the thing you do for anything other than the love of the policy. I was burnt out for sure and decided I never wanted to do anything in politics again. I think that everyone has to find their own path. I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. Three, two, one. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jack Miller. Our other co-host, Zane Emerson, is off at a district student council meeting right now, operating through one of the many forms of local government to make the world a better place. And I mention this because the guest this week is a man named Jesse Cornett, who has been active in a number of different roles in Oregon and national politics at all kinds of levels, working on a variety of different policy issues and as a campaigner as well. He may be best known for his work on the Bernie Sanders campaigns in 2016 and 2020. He was Bernie's body man in 2020, which means that he was always around Bernie when he was out on the road. That is not, however, the main thing that Jesse likes to talk about. He will talk about his time with the Sanders campaign, but he really wants to talk more about what his life in and out of politics has been about. And that is the topic of our interview today. So without any further introduction... Here's Jesse Cornett. Joining me today by Zoom is Jesse Cornett, who is an experienced political operative in the state of Oregon and nationwide. Uh, welcome to the show, Jesse. Hey, thanks for having me on. So I've called you an experienced political operative, but maybe that's not how you would characterize yourself. What would you say is your relationship to politics? My relationship to politics is, uh, I, I think the word that comes to mind is holistic. The super fast bio is I went to, uh, I decided to study political science in college mainly because I was trying to, I had been planning to do study sociology, but it required statistics. I was always bad at math. And I literally found a topic that didn't require statistics. Uh, and that's how I got into political science in the first place. Um, I had had a little bit of interest before. I saw Bill Clinton in his 92 race as a high school student from several hundred yards away. So the interest was there. It really got peaked um, when I got into the program and almost immediately got involved with things on campus and otherwise, went to the 2000, uh, less than a year later, went to the 2000 Democratic Convention, came back, worked for my first campaign, worked for the legislature, was Portland State's government relations director for a few years, worked in the Secretary of State's office. Uh, I've worked on four presidential campaigns now, several statewide or a couple of statewide measures, more local measures than uh, that I can count. 
And uh, I, uh, I, I read when I'm not working on something specifically, I'm, I'm reading about it, I'm not even watching anymore, just really consuming lots of information online. So it's, you know, it's, it's very much a part of, uh, part of my life. I, I mean, I, uh, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, delving into the personal, I, 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 you know, have been in the dating world lately, and I even found like a top criteria for me was, you know, not just somebody's uh, politics, but if they were a voter, um, I realized mattered to me in that, in that realm. So it's, it's really through and through for me. So you're deeply engaged. I like the word holistic. It's kind of like you're living a fully political life. What is it about the political world that grabbed you early and that has kept you, you know, not just involved and interested, but it sounds like, you know, deeply immersed. There, there must have been something very energizing to you to grab you that hard and keep you for your whole life up to this point. I had a couple of, uh, I had a couple of great professors. Uh, Melody Rose, who's since gone on to bigger and better things, was the, uh, the professor for a, a capstone project that I did working with high schoolers on a model nominating convention, which is what got me involved in the convention in the first place. Uh, actually, I should really back up before that. There was even a precursor to that, which is I took a, a, a Spanish class in 1998 at Portland Community College. And uh, one of my classmates, two of my classmates were George Amy, who was then a sitting state legislator and his son, Greg. And for me, it was just the neatest thing. Like, oh, wow, like here's this state lawmaker. And he was the, uh, I, think, I think it's accurate to say the father of death with dignity in Oregon. He uh, shepherded that through the legislature and uh, the, the, the fixes to that, I should say, and was very involved in uh, very involved in that. It was just neat. Like, oh, I get to talk to, you know, like a real politician and just started to realize in Oregon, especially this is not royalty. Um, these are folks you might run into at the grocery store. Um, so fast forward back to Portland State, you've got the uh, you've got the great professors, Melody, as I mentioned, and then uh, Richard Lucas had classes with him and and he was just very supportive of students getting involved as he remains today it, it just the combination of those factors just made it uh, a fascinating area of interest to me when i started at portland state in fall of 1999 uh, portland police required a four-year degree i actually wanted to become a police officer so i've, I've had the draw for the, the public service and uh, that's really where it started but then I got into the political realm and realized and was working for a legislator influencing public policy before I could even graduate high school or sorry, college. And uh, so it just it made a, uh, a huge impact on me. Just fast forward to today, I'm working with an organization called Oregon Recovers. It's a relatively new area for me, new area this uh, this year, working with addiction and recovery uh, and just, you know, learning anew uh, how underfunded. If you look at the just sheer numbers, six Oregonians. Uh, die from an alcohol-related death every day in Oregon. Uh, 1.5 people from other drugs combined. So that's seven and a half. Do the math. That's more people that have died since the onset of COVID than COVID has killed. Yet it's the stepchild of the policy process in Oregon. So you get involved one way, and I'm still just as fired up as ever covering this area where I can actually make a difference. So you've been doing this for over two decades, one of the things that I've come across and talked to people who live a life in politics is that it can be very demoralizing, very draining, very frustrating. And it takes you know, a lot of intention and effort to sustain a life in politics. Have you found it that way? Or are you, you seem pretty positive and energetic. You don't seem like a person who is fighting burnout. Is that true? And if you are, what do you do to have a sustainable relationship to a very all-encompassing, engrossing kind of activity? Uh, I've taken breaks. I've owned a bar 
which consumed a little over a year of my life and a lot of money, I don't want to admit. And uh, uh, I, I worked for a, uh, a beverage wholesaler for two and a half years between the 2016 and 2020 campaigns, just because as soon as Donald Trump announced he was running for president, I knew he would be the nominee and establishment folks would laugh me out of the room. And fast forward to August of 2016, when he's the nominee, I posted something on Facebook to the effect of don't listen to the polls, don't read the polls, the polls are wrong, and got blasted by now Secretary of State Shamia Fagan, among other people, for, you know, trying to sound the alarm in that way. Um, And uh, guess what happened? Uh, We don't have to guess what happened. We know uh, what happened. And I had spent the year trying to prevent that from happening. I worked for Bernie Sanders campaign in the, the primary from February through June. And that was really fascinating for me because I was teaching two classes a day at Portland State. So I would, you know, I had a, a week where I taught until I think it was 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, caught a red eye to Baltimore, helped run an event there on Saturday morning, got in the car, drove to New Haven, helped run an event there on Sunday night, slept, caught a 6 a.m. flight home and was back in the class at five o'clock that, uh, that day. And so that was kind of the pace of, uh, of 2016. It is very tiring. I went on to, to do work for the DNC and for Hillary Clinton's campaign and um, events the president and vice president were doing for the Clinton campaign, as well as one official White House trip, which was one of the neatest experiences of my life. And uh, I came home. I don't know what the right word is. I was burnt out for sure and decided I never wanted to do anything in politics again. Clearly, I failed at that. But taking the time off and going and getting this other job was uh, really uh, reinvigorating for me. I remain that way today. So you you left intending to stay out, but you got pulled back in. You know, it always reminds me of the quote from The Godfather about every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. Like, I've heard that story from many people involved in politics because I was wondering, did you take a break just to rejuvenate and knowing you were coming back or did you intend to get out and you couldn't stay out? So I have the answer to that. What is it that drew you back in? Why could you not stay a civilian? In 2018... Uh, you know, I stayed in touch with folks from the, the 2016 campaign. Uh, Senator Sanders was campaigning for a handful of candidates in the midterm, and I was asked to come on board and help. And so basically, I was taking these long weekends off work, taking four-day weekends in October of that year. And I did that, and it was fun. Uh, and then I remember getting the call in February or so, maybe it was January of 2019, from my who would become my boss who had had uh, I'd worked with before John Michelle who said if Bernie runs will you help with the announcement tour and my answer was you know fresh off the heels of having fun in October absolutely and the second question was would you want to come on board full time should that be an opportunity and I said no you know I'm really happy uh, I was doing sales and uh, it was fun like I was done at four o'clock you know, three o'clock some days and just hanging out in the bar, talking to, you know, friends from work or, or you know, doing happy hour with friends not from work. Uh, and it was a really, you know, mellow life. I was also very much underachieving and not making a lot of money. And uh, it's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll help out. And uh, I did the uh, flew to Iowa to help for a while at Des Moines. I remember that trip. And then I got asked to fly to San Francisco. Unexpectedly, John Michelle was there. He uh, didn't travel a whole lot for the campaign. Um, and uh, so it was nice to see him after a few years and the entertainment. So we were, you know, Golden Gate Bridge and Golden Gate Park, Golden Gate Bridge in the background, um, just a, you know, gorgeous March day. 
this tremendous rally. Uh, one of my favorite teenage bands, um, I can't believe I'm going to admit this. Actually, the first concert I ever went to without supervision was Tony, 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 if you remember them, the R&B group in California. They played and, uh, you know, I got to see that performance, meet those guys. Um, and it was kind of the neatness that drew me back in. So as we dined afterward, I told John Michelle, I'm like, yeah, there's full-time jobs. I'm in. Yeah. Is it fair to say that, it, that like the excitement and the kind of work lifestyle, the all-encompassing is what brought you in? Or how much of it is a, an ideological or a policymaking commitment that is responsible for you not being able to sort of have that kind of quiet, possibly underachieving, sounds very delightful life that you had before you got pulled back in? Like, what is the mixture of it's the excitement and energy of the lifestyle versus it's the commitment to getting the causes advanced that I care about. It's the causes. I'll uh, just add to it a little bit. I saw Bernie Sanders speak for the first time in August 2015 when he was at the, the Moda Center, and I was undecided on who I would support in the race at that point. So it's safe to say I wasn't, uh, I didn't come at this as a, uh, I wanted a candidate that would have the most impact in changing the world. You know, prior to that campaign, I never considered I'll stick with one issue, Medicare for all. And the importance of making sure that every person in America has healthcare coverage. You know, if I could wave a magic wand to do one thing in the world, I feel like that would be high on the list. It would be a <laughs> we'd have to consider it at the time. It would be a pretty uh, uh, a pretty uh, a pretty long list. But yeah, it's the policy and making an impact on people's lives. Uh, I see folks that are on the line level making differences in you know day to day lives. Um, and, and it's just worked well to be at the, the level of either impacting policy by working on a policy role or working with somebody that's going to get elected and impact the policy. So you were not a Bernie uh, supporter or Bernie bro before that. What was it about his presentation that made a, a policy oriented person you know, say, OK, yeah, I'm decided I'm, I'm with Bernie? Um, what really pulled me in to supporting not Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Sanders ideals comes a little bit later. I enjoyed the rally. And I learned a lot. And then there was a November rally in Atlanta, Georgia, where uh, a rapper from Run the Jewels named Killer Mike um, gave this five-minute introduction of Bernie Sanders. And he put things in such succinct terms. For me, and I had never heard of Killer Mike or Run the Jewels at that point, that was the aha moment of what he's talking about is deep and it's powerful and it's going to actually help the most number of people in America of any candidate. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. Visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about. I think that a lot of us would like that to be the case for a lot of what goes on in our politics that isn't, that we hear ideas that seem to us to be good solutions to the problems that our communities and our country are facing and that we get behind the people 
who are going to move those ideas across the finish line. In your experience traveling around and meeting a bunch of people, am I right about that? That that is not the most common motivation? Or do you see an awful lot of people who are working for politicians, working on campaigns, working to lobby legislatures? They really are motivated by the policies. There was an Indiana senator that was considering running for president in, I think it was 2008 that I saw when he uh, came to Portland. And I think there were about 15 people. in So he flew to Portland in this exploratory phase. And there weren't more than a handful of us there. The reality of politics is not what you see on Veep or the West Wing. Um, You're working in cramped offices. You're reading reams of paper with not nearly enough time to consume them. You're up at six in the morning. You're eating a really unhealthy diet. This glamorous side that most people see just doesn't exist. So I would say there are probably a lot of people that work on a campaign in their life. Uh, and realize like, oh, no, this isn't for me because there's no glamour to it. You know, I'll just talk about another candidate. I mean, because he had his own following, you know, Andrew Yang. Um, It's just, you know, like you have to get to that level before it becomes a neat thing. And again, the neat is really about the policy, even in his case, I believe. So if you're in it for the glamour, you're go- I like how you say you, you might work on a campaign, but that is not going to sustain because it is a grind and it can be boring. And uh, as you say, it's right. You're eating on a healthy diet. You're not, you're moving around a lot. It sounds like you're saying that you have to really have a commitment to what the candidate or the cause is aiming towards to be able to commit yourself to, you know, what is unglamorous in many, in many ways. Absolutely. It's not easy uh, on a lot of folks. I'm not married. I spent 18, 19 months um, outside of Portland with the occasional trip home. I didn't touch foot in Portland for six months. I spent my Christmas alone in a hotel room. It's not the thing you do for anything other than the love of the policy. One of the things that for sure fuels a lot of people in American politics, both people who are insiders working on campaigns, working as lobbyists, working as staffers, as well as people who are motivated to go out and go to marches and rallies and yell and, you know, Facebook rant is outrage. And outrage is a very energizing emotion that can sustain people through a lot of tedium and unhealthy diets and traveling and and abnormal and unappealing types of lifestyles. So I'll ask you the question that I ask all my guests, which is what is something that used to outrage you and no longer does? And why the change, if there is a change? I remember working for the legislature in 2001, and my sitting state legislature, legislator at the time, Chris Beck, had a, a sticker or a sign of some kind of his office that I remember as being a bumper sticker and seeing elsewhere as well. But I never really paid attention to it until I was in his office. And it said, you've seen it. If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. As a 25-year-old staffer, I cared about policy, but I wasn't outraged. I wanted to to improve the lives of those around me, but there was nothing that really outraged me. It's really very different today. Uh, I traveled to Homestead, Florida in sweltering Miami heat and humidity where our country, that, and, you know, that's, you know, you and me, where our country kept little kids in cages and wouldn't let siblings hug. Fast forward to just um, this uh, this summer, I think what we did to uh, the way that things ended in Afghanistan outraged me. I wish I could tell you how we could have done it better, but I can't. 
But I think the way that we uh, ended up abandoning people that have stood with us for 20 years is outrageous. What we've done to the Haitians at our southern border outrages me to no end. Our neglect uh, of those suffering from addiction and trying to recover outrages me. Um, So as a 25-year-old political staffer, things bothered me. Uh, As a 45-year-old, things outrage me. I appreciate your list of outrages, too, because you have a bipartisan list. You are not just outraged by what the party that you oppose does and accepting, if somewhat disappointed in your own party, you're outraged uh, in a bipartisan fashion. You haven't gotten over an outrage because you started off, as, as you say, things bothered you. Now they outrage you. How do you manage the increasingly powerful emotions that come with adding on a monthly basis, it sounds like, to your list of outrages? How do you cope with that? That's a lot to ask a human being to do. I have the weirdest style of meditation that you've ever heard of. You ever heard of Wim Hof? I have not, no. I'm a, a, a Wim Hof practitioner, which, which means I get in 38 degree water for 11 minutes every single day. And I think about absolutely nothing. My mind just goes off and uh, I, I get out of there and, and am at peace with everything going on in the world. And I, I don't listen to NPR once I'm done in there anymore. That's your practice. That's what you do. And that works. It's sustainable for you. That and uh, last night was my uh, 300th session of Bikram Yoga, which is 90 minutes and 104 degrees. So in temperature, ex- at, in temperature extremes, you find a way to maintain equanimity in the face of a growing list of outrages for yourself. Yes. Um, well, I, you know, that's, <laughs> I often will wrap up interviews by asking people for advice for folks out there who are looking to be able to sustain or manage the, their relationship with the things that bother them. Are you going to advocate for these practices? Are you going to recommend them at, that people give them a try? I think that everyone has to find their own path. Meditation, just until I integrated it in with this purely bizarre activity, or also bizarre activity, I shouldn't say purely, it, it just it didn't work with my mind. The, the Bikram Yoga just this week, I have a friend that's suffering from significant anxiety. They, uh, they also started taking medicine a few days ago and uh, came to a session, yoga session with me on Monday night. And last night when they showed up, said that it had been the most peaceful 24 hours they had had in weeks. So it works for some people. It doesn't work for everyone. And I think it's like a, it's like a diet. Um, anyone that, that gives this overarching, you know, the Atkins diet is the only way to lose weight. The keto diet is the only way to lose weight. Intermittent fasting is the only way to lose weight. Every body is different. Every mind is different. I would uh, certainly encourage people to consider trying all of these as, uh, you know, the things that I do, the thing that you do is, is part of their regimen, but it's not going to work for everyone. Right. Now, there's no single method that will help, but doing something and searching around, it sounds like taking care of your mind and your body as you live in a world that is full of disappointment, frustration, powerful emotions, outrages, seems like an important component of a balanced and sustainable life in politics. I'll finish up by saying, is, is there anything that you would like to add to what you said in terms of like, there are important things that you want people who are curious about the political life to know that we haven't touched on yet. Yeah, I think if you're curious about the political life, I mean, the adage is what half the battle is showing up. 99% of the battle is, is showing up in the political realm. We have a very open and accessible process in Oregon. People think of uh, the president of the United States as being the all-powerful 
there's very little Joe Biden is going to do that's going to impact my tomorrow. It's the city council that's going to impact my tomorrow. It's Sam Adams uh, when he was transportation commissioner for Portland when somebody got uh, sideswiped by a, a van going down a hill, immediately shut that street down and it remains shut today. That's the power of the local elected official. Our state legislators, they are impacting policy on a a day-to-day basis. The bill I worked on during the last legislature was called Cover All People. There are now tens of thousands of Oregonians uh, who are eligible for the Oregon Health Plan who would not have been otherwise eligible, but for the bill we were able to pass. Um, That's the power of what happens in Salem, and it doesn't happen unless you show up. It doesn't matter how small or how big your idea is. I'll point to the Oregon Bottle Bill. Richard, uh, I think it was Richard Chambers was his name. Uh, was a you know somebody that lived on the coast and cleaned up the coastline as he would walk. Presented this idea to his legislator to get this bill introduced and uh, got introduced. First time it got introduced, it got defeated. The governor took a shining to it. The next legislative session it passed. Bottle bill was pioneering at the time, uh, and it wouldn't have happened except for somebody that was just an average Oregonian stepping up. So if people are interested. Um, do it. I hear that from a lot of people who work at the local county and state level is that national politics sucks up so much of the oxygen of our attention about politics, but that so much of, if not almost all of the stuff that's important in our daily lives happens at the local county and state level. And the barriers to entry in those levels are very low. As you say, there are great opportunities. And what keeps people from doing it a lot of times is just an awareness that it's there. And then the awareness that there's a lot of impact to be had. So I appreciate you uh, finishing off with that yet another person who has had an impact and who sees that we can all get involved in ways that will give us an opportunity to change the world in ways that matter to us in our daily lives. All right, Jesse, well, I appreciate you uh, joining me by Zoom today. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks so much.